Well, good morning and greetings in Jesus' name. I'll try not to shock you any more this morning. <laughs> Revival meetings. I'm just curious, how many of you know this brother Ted that's coming? I don't know him either. Don't think I've ever met him. But isn't it interesting when you hear about a revival speaker coming and you start getting these mental pictures of what he may look like and what his wife may look like. And then he finally, the day comes and he shows up and he doesn't look like anything you imagine. <laughs> but yet that first image that you start to paint in your mind will almost stick with you. Maybe you're not like that, but I am. But I look forward to the revival meetings. And so that will be our focus today. Revival meetings begin tomorrow evening. As you have considered the coming revivals, what are you expecting? Besides a busy, hectic schedule, what are you expecting spiritually this coming week? If someone from the community, let's say a fellow employee, would ask, why do you guys have revival meetings? How would you respond? Or they ask, what happens at a revival meeting? How would you answer such a question? I believe our response to such I believe our response to such questions would reveal what we are expecting in our coming revival meetings. Preparation is a familiar word. Preparation is the action or process of making something ready for use or service or of getting ready for some occasion, test, or duty. We are well aware of the value of preparation. Important life events, and even not so important life events, call for much preparation. It is said that preparation is the key for success, or preparation is the key to success. And so I titled this message, God's Way for Revival. I want to begin with a story, personal story. This past bow season, my preparation for the season greatly lacked. I winged it big time. I practiced little over the summer months. As you know, it was a hot summer, busy summer. Usually in my preparation, I hang my hunting clothes outside before and through the season to air out so they get that fresh outside air. I never did that once last year, this past season. Usually I'm big on taking scent-free showers before I go hunting. This past season, I never did find my scent-away soap. I got way behind on stand preparation. I like my stands already by September. I was still working on my stands well into bow season. One evening, I finally had the chance to go hunting. I grabbed my bow, I grabbed the quiver, 
and realized my arrow still had the field points on. And so I started looking for broadheads. I go to where I keep my broadheads. No broadheads were there to be found. And so we have quite a few hunters in our family, and we each kind of have our stuff. But we have this one drawer that's kind of a communal, it's too good to throw away, but it's really nobody's drawer. And so a lot of stuff gets thrown in there that it's not really anybody. So I went to that drawer, and I looked for my broadheads. They weren't there. But I did find some inexpensive broadheads. They're called Cheap Shots, thanks to Joe. And uh, I put a couple of them on, and I went hunting. Later, I learned that I had loaned out my broadheads to, a, to another family member and had forgotten to borrow them back. <laughs> my lack of preparation cost me in the end. I went hunting a few times, but I wasn't focused. I knew I was winging it. And one evening, when the moment of truth was about to come together, I was winded by the keen nose of a mature white-tailed buck, and it was all over. Preparation is the key to success. Preparation is the key to successful revival. If you want revival next week, then you must make plans now for that to happen. If you plan to just wing revivals like I did this past bow season, I can assure you, you will go home empty. Unsuccessful hunters talk about eating tag soup. I don't know if there's revival soup or not, but you can think about that. So how do we prepare for revival? What does revival preparation look like? I invite you to 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. I'd like to use this verse for our text today and outline for the message. We could call this verse God's plan for revival, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. These are the words of God to King Solomon. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. In this verse, we have four requirements for revival, four simple words, humble, pray, seek, and turn. I want to look briefly at the context of this verse, and then we will consider from this verse four steps to revival. And so I will give you a bit of a review of 2 Chronicles up to chapter 7. But first of all, 1 Chronicles ends with the death of, of uh, King David, and 2 Chronicles begins with Solomon as the new king of Israel. In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, God appears to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. Solomon's request was for wisdom and knowledge. In chapter 2 of 2 Chronicles, 
Solomon determines to build a temple for the name of the Lord. Chapter 3, Solomon begins to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. In chapter 4, Solomon is in the thick of construction. Chapter 5, the temple is complete. Chapter 6, Solomon dedicates the temple to the Lord. I want to read several portions from Solomon's dedication prayer. If we understand what God was saying or what Solomon was praying for in chapter 6, then we will understand God's response to Solomon in chapter 7. So I picked out several portions of the prayer. It's a long prayer, but let's begin by reading 17 through 21 of 2 Chronicles 6. And now, O Lord God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you that your eyes may be open toward this temple day and night, toward the place where you said you will put your name, that you may hear the prayer which your servant prays towards this place. And may, and may you hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Now, let's go down to... 24 and read through 27. Or if your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you and return and confess your name and pray and make supplications before you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to them and their fathers. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. Now let's go down to verse 36 and read through the end of the chapter. When they sinned against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy and take them captive to a land far or near, yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplications to you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned, we have done wrong, and have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, where they have been carried captive, and pray towards the land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and toward the temple which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer, and their supplications, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, my God, I pray, 
Let your eyes be open, and let your ears be attentive to the prayer made in this place. Now therefore arise, O Lord God, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priest, O Lord, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember the mercies of your servant David. And so the prayer ends. Now let's go to chapter 7. Let's read the first three verses. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And now let's go down to verse 12 and read through verse 14. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I have four points that I want to consider from verse 14. Four steps to true revival. And I believe that in each of these steps, God is calling us back to him. You will notice that each step begins with the letter P. And so the first step is a call to preparation. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Humility. Humility is where revival starts. And I think we must point out who God is saying who the people are. It's not the ones out in the world. He, God says, if my people, my people, that's us, the ones that are called by my name will humble themselves. The word humility has the idea of being under another. As we daily humble ourselves before God, we are acknowledging his lordship in our lives. We admit our weakness and reach out for his power. Humility is saying, God, I need you. Without you, God, I am nothing. Turn to Luke chapter 18. I like to read a familiar passage in Luke 18, uh, 10 through 14. And keep in mind that thought. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Luke 18, verse 10. And I changed the words up just a bit. 
I don't want to in any way take away from the scripture, but maybe make it more applicable to us. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a southeastern minister and the other the owner of Liberty Tax Services. The southeastern minister stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this liberty tax man. I go to conference twice a year. I serve on several committees. And the liberty tax man standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I believe Jesus is saying, and I believe my version is saying, that no man, or no woman for that matter, is exempt from the struggle of maintaining humility. Jesus says, everyone, everyone, get in line, raise your hand. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That, exalt, that exalting is not so much being exalted among our peers and among our fellow men, but that's an exalting, that's a Christ-like exalting. That's revival. James says it this way in 4 verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. You see, that's revival, that lifting up. And so I believe the first step to revival is preparation. If my people will humble themselves... I believe this morning God is asking us to take that step. Pablo Yoder once said, the choice is ours to humble ourselves or let God do it for you. I remember a, a time when I was probably seven, eight years old. My sisters and I, we were out uh, breaking ice on mud puddles. And uh, we'd like to, to break, stand on the ice and rock it back and forth in the water, and the water would turn all brown and chocolate-like, and we would say we're making chocolate milk. But this was kind of like a dirt path, and there was these puddles that would freeze, and there was a bank coming down to those puddles or to that road. And I told my sisters, I said, watch this. Watch me. <laughs> well, you know what's about to happen. I come running down that bank, and I was going to jump those puddles, but I'm not sure what happened. The last second, my feet got twisted together, and I just went head first. <laughs> right into that chocolate melt. But the first step to revival is humility. If my people will humble themselves. The second step is the call to prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Prayer is humility put in action. 
The praying person sees his own inability and recognizes God's ability. What are some things you can be praying about as we come to a week of revivals? And I have a list here for you. First, we can pray that God would prepare my heart for the preaching of the word. Recently, I read this, and it kind of spoke to me. But it said that the lack of revival in the church is not usually the preaching of the word, but the condition of the soul. And that really spoke to me. You know, usually we put a lot of pressure on the evangelist. And he certainly has his part. But what, but what about the condition of the soul? Does he have anything to work with? You know, if you just throw grass seed out on ground that hasn't been tilled and fertilized and lime, you, you know, you're not going to get a, a stand of grass that's going to make you happy. I didn't plan to say all that, so I'm going to move on. So, yeah, we can pray that God would, first of all, prepare our hearts. We can pray for our evangelists. We can pray that God would fill him with his spirit and give him direction on what to sh share. We can pray for those who will attend, that God would work in their hearts. We can pray for those who need salvation. We can pray a special blessing on the young mothers of this church. It takes much effort to get a young family around for an evening of revivals. Our young mothers carry a, a load, a heavy load on revival week. And if you are past the young family stage of life, maybe you can pray that God would show you a way to bless a young family this week. We can pray for the men of this church with our work and businesses and responsibilities it's a challenge on a normal week. Add revival meetings to it, and it becomes a bigger challenge. And so you can pray for the men of this church and their schedules and that things could work out for them, that they could be here. We can pray that the powers of Satan will be defeated and victories may be won through the power of God. And last but not least, we can simply pray that God would revive his people again. And so the second step to revival is prayer. Pray without ceasing. The third step is a call to passion, seeking his face. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. You may wonder, how is seeking the face of God different than prayer? And I will try to explain that. Prayer is simply communication with God. The word seek means to desire something. In other words, God is the number one priority and desire of my heart. Seeking God is a lifestyle. Seeking God is who I am. Seeking God is what I do. Seeking God is my passion. 
Our world, for the most part, has lost its desire for seeking God. However, seeking God's face is a requirement for revival. It follows right on the heels of humility and prayer. Listen to this scripture as I read Isaiah 5, sorry, Isaiah 55, 6, and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seeking the face of God is what we do as Christians, and it's a requirement for revival. Stop seeking God's face, and you know what happens. I had to think of the song we sing at Summer Bible School and also at Echo. Don't read your Bible, forget to pray. Someone tell me what happens. You all know the song. Shrink, 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 right? <laughs> okay. Seek the face of God. The promise to those that do so is revival. And the promise to those that seek is that they will find. Seeking is not a dead-end road. It's a requirement for finding. It's a requirement for revival. The fourth step to revival is the call to purity. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. The call to repentance. Turn from their wicked ways. In other words, identify those things that do not please God and then choose to change and go in another direction. We could explain repentance as a two-step process. The first step is a realization of our lost condition. The second step is a change of direction. To those that change direction, to those that turn from their wicked ways, God says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. I don't know how you find repentance, but for me, repentance can be ever so painful and humbling. You know, and it's just as simple as needing to tell my wife I'm sorry for a, a ugly response or something to my children that I need to apologize. 
But there's something about that that's it's kind of painful. You, you know what I mean? And it shouldn't be. It's just words we're going to say. But uh, that's how it is. However, if we want God's blessing to hear us, to forgive us, to heal us, then we must repent. We must turn from sin. We must apply the cleansing blood of Jesus to our lives. As I thought about this step of purity, I thought of the words of Paul to Titus, and I'd like for us to look at those. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, I will read 3 through 8. This passage gives us a picture of who we once were and what we now can be. But that word repentance is right there in the middle. It's the dash between once how we were and now how we can be. Titus 3, 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Isn't that a beautiful passage? You know, sometimes in advertising, businesses will use before and after pictures. You know, here's a picture of a garage with garage doors that are damaged and they're falling apart. They're rusty, they look terrible before. Now here's a picture with the garage with brand new garage doors and it just transformed that garage. It's beautiful. All it took was a set of garage doors. <laughs> we have that same picture in this passage. Before repentance, it wasn't pretty, but because of the work of Jesus Christ, we can now do good works that are good and profitable to men. We're a useful person. This morning, God is calling us to revival. God's way to revival is through preparation prayer, passion, and purity. And I encourage you to consider that, think about that over the next few days. In Psalm 85, verse 6, 
The psalmist asked the question, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? The answer to that question is yes. God will revive us again, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. God bless you. Let's call for a closing song.